Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome to grab a seat. great is it just to be able to spend time in the Lord's presence. Thank you so much, Gareth and Maranique. It's great having you guys here with us for the relaunch of our evenings for the year. And um, we normally try and keep uh, our message the morning and the evening the same so that for our small groups, it doesn't really matter whether you come to morning service or an evening service. Our small groups is really a key part. It's sort of the heartbeat of who we are as a church happens within our small groups where community can happen. We're a really small group this evening, so a part of that, I guess, could happen here. But in small group is that place where we can come together and we can really pray for one another like we did in a, just this moment. And we can share and we can apply the word to where I am in, in my life and Small group is for us such a key part of our discipleship process where so much of the growth happens for us as a church. And so depending if someone comes in the morning or the evening, because what we try and do is to a large extent in our small groups is to take the word that was preached and to wrestle with it and say, well, how does that apply to my life? What is God saying to me? And so we keep the message the same. So if you come to the morning or the evening, you can still go to the same small group. We don't have evening small groups and morning small groups and such. And so this evening I'm going to squash, for those of you who haven't been around, I'm going to squash two messages into one because as you'll see on the slide there, or maybe there we go, today's actually part two of a message, but I'm going to do part one recap and then go into part two for you guys. A couple of weeks ago at the the start of the year, can you believe we are already in March 2023? I know for some of you younger people, it doesn't feel like that, but I'm living in a sci-fi movie. All of the sci-fi movies and the sci-fi books that were written and that came out when I was a kid is in the past. Those dates have come and gone, and by now we should have been skirting around on hoverboards, anyone who watched Back to the Future, that future has backed already and come and gone, and we can almost go back to the next future or something. 2023, and the beginning of the year, I just sensed the Lord was pressing and, and speaking to us that us as a church, the word that He's wanting to call us to is to step in, to step into His purpose, sorry, to step into His love firstly, but then as well to step into His purpose. And I've just sensed even over these last few weeks how God has begun to release that over us, just a, a new awareness of God's love. Isn't that amazing about the love of the God we serve, that He is so huge, He is so majestic, He is so powerful, His love is so infinite that it doesn't matter how much of His love we have encountered, there's always more. We can always go deeper in His love, not because the love that we've experienced isn't enough, it's just there is more because He is so majestic and so gracious and so good that there is always more of His goodness for us to discover. We can never press in to the end of where God is. And so I felt God saying that He's calling us to step into His love. For some of us, stepping into His love for the first time. For some of us, stepping just deeper into His love. 
And then step into purpose as well. I really sense God is just reawakening a purpose in our hearts as a church. We're sharing a little bit along the lines of people like Noah. Noah, who's a 600-year-old man. And there's so much of Noah which kind of we typically lean into when we think of the story of Noah. But what struck me as I was reading and just meditating on the story of Noah at the beginning of this year is that Noah is a 600-year-old man and he gets on a boat. By the time Noah gets on the boat, not only has he built a boat, he's probably built himself a pretty nice house and some nice vineyards. And he's, he's rigged, his life is comfortable. He's got everything the way that he, exactly the way he wants it. He's had 600 years to get, you know, his man cave just the way he wants his man cave to be. Maybe it was a real cave. I don't know. And then he gets on this boat, and for a year he's on the boat. 601 years old, he gets off the boat, and everything he's built is gone. And he has to restart. Noah restarts the practical part of his life with just him and the few family members that were on, with the boat, on the boat with him and the animals that were on the boat. They get to restart. And I imagine Adam and Eve the first time, apart from the disappointment, as they step out of the garden of Eden, I think there's disappointment because we've been separated from God. And I mean, that's just that's crazy disappointment right there. But on a purely natural level, maybe there's just a little bit of excitement because we get to rebuild. Or not rebuild, for them it was build for the first time. The difference is Noah, as a slightly older man, has to, 600 years, 601 years old, has to rebuild. And lockdown, I think, for many people was a little bit of an arc experience. It was a little bit of batten down their hatches, just get everyone together, just survive this thing of lockdown. And in that, we got a little bit into couch mode and comfortable mode. We got into a mode where we missed the reality of the excitement of stepping out and following Jesus. And for some of us, we need to step out of the ark again and realize we have to build again. We get to build again. And obviously, hopefully, we build with more wisdom and more insight when we rebuild. I think our evening services are a little bit of that from kind of two evening services with hundreds of students and now the incredible blessings that we have in this room, as precious and as beautiful as it is, but just rebuilding a culture and rebuilding a momentum and trusting God to redo it. And together with kind of the idea of stepping into His love and stepping into His purpose, this verse, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, has just sort of guided our way largely this for a large part of this year. And the story here is there's a king, Hezekiah. He's 25 years old, and he becomes king. And his father before him was an evil man. He did not do what was right in the sight of God. And Hezekiah, this young man, steps in as king. And something stirs in his heart to say, we as a people are going to follow God. And so the temple, literally at this stage, the doors are closed. There's no worship taking place in the temple as there should be every day with the priests doing their work in the temple. None of that is happening. As a matter of fact, the temple is a storeroom. They've carried in literally a whole bunch of just junk that they didn't have other places to store. They've carried into the storeroom and the 
this is on our podcast, kind of where we went into more detail. As I said, this is the executive summary, kind of the, the highlights just of that message. If you want to dig a little bit deeper into that, you can go on your favorite podcast pod platform, and our messages are there. And he's just becoming king. He's just become king. And one of the very first things he does, Scripture says, in the first month of the first year of his reign as king, right at the start, he calls together the priests, and that's what happens here in 29 verse 11. And he says to them, My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, to lead the people in worship and present offerings to Him. And that's what we call a dynamic equivalent translation. In Bible school, we'll unpack all of these things to you. How do the different translations work? But the idea here is they're translating thoughts. If we go look at the word-for-word translation, there's a really interesting nuance that we see. Something like the ESV tells us, My sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, to be His ministers, and make offerings to Him. And so we've spent some time this year talking about the fact that God has chosen you. Can we say that tonight? God has chosen me. So that out loud, God has chosen me. It is so easy for us to look at our neighbor, to look at somebody kind of that we look up to spiritually, a small group facilitator or somebody who's an example. God has chosen them. Obviously, God has chosen them. I can see God has chosen them. It's sometimes harder for us to acknowledge God has chosen me. And so Hezekiah calls all of these priests together and he says, guys, don't be negligent. You guys know the opposite of negligence is diligence, laziness, and hard work. So he says, don't be lazy. Don't not do your duties. Press in a little bit. Work hard because God has chosen you. Did a message about the fact I know this is awkward for us to say sometimes, and if we don't do this with the right heart, it's very arrogant. But you, as you sit here, you are God's gift to mankind. There was a man called Jacob and his father-in-law Laban in the Old Testament. And Laban became a very wealthy man because of the work that Jacob was doing. At one stage, Jacob wants to leave, and Laban, his father-in-law, says, No, don't go. God is blessing me because you are here. Laban realized that Jacob was God's gift to Laban. That it was better for Laban because Jacob was there. He carried something about the favor and the blessing of God with him, and Laban benefited from that. You are God's gift to man. You carry something about the presence and the beauty and the goodness of God. And this world, your friendship circle, your class, your community is meant to be better off because of you. You are meant to carry in with boldness, not arrogance, but with boldness into that environment, saying, I'm bringing the presence of God into this environment. I'm not so good. I'm not so special. I'm not, it's, I'm not God's gift to man because I'm this amazing person. I'm God's gift to man because God dwells within me. And God has chosen me. God has chosen you. There where you are right now, the community you're in, the people that you have around you, the commune you're staying in, the classes you attend, the office you work at, God has chosen you to be there. He's chosen you as His representative. He's he's chosen you. Spoke quite a bit about that, that God has chosen you. 
You know, when God has a plan, He chooses a man or a woman, woman, <laughs> rhymes better. But when God has a plan, He chooses a human. Let's go with that. Okay. When God has a plan, he, he chooses a person. There where you are, God has a plan. And He's chosen you to be there, to represent Him there. I'll touch on that a little bit later. You're God's gift to man. And then four specific things that this passage highlights. The first one is they've been chosen to stand. It speaks about God's presence entering into His life a little bit like we did this evening. We can come boldly. I love what Hebrews tells us. So then, since we have a great high priest, and don't have time to unpack all of this. As I said, we did this in the message a couple of weeks ago, and in Bible school we'll do this as well. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God has called you to stand in His presence. God has called you to stand before Him. God has called you to stand, I believe, before Him so that you can stand in the world. Paul writes the church in Ephesus and he says, Having done all to stand, stand therefore. But four or five times in just a few verses there, he uses this word stand that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. You're meant to be able to stand and until we've learned to stand with confidence before God because of what Jesus had done for us. It's really hard to stand anywhere else. It's so important that we learn that outside there, there's a battleground going on. Some of you may have realized that in your lives. But we get to come to holy ground and then go from holy ground to the battleground. We get to come to God to stand in His presence. God has chosen you to stand in His presence. And then He's chosen you to minister to Him. And this is where the word-for-word translations, the complete equivalent translations, they help us a little bit because they don't only show us that we've been called to minister to God, we've also been called to minister for God, and they're separate things. And so the last time we spoke about the fact that we've been chosen to stand in His presence, and we've been chosen to minister to Him. Ministry to God is a little bit, I guess, like if I were to take my kids as an example. I've got three daughters. If one of them decides to make me an omelet for breakfast tomorrow morning, and they bring me that omelet, that's ministry to me. It's directed towards me. They're doing something to my heart. They're doing something which will bless me, which will encourage me for me. And I'm the beneficiary of it. That's what ministering to someone is. And what we see here is that ministry to God was the realm of the Old Testament, the realm of the priests in the Old Testament. Their function was to minister to God. They would minister to God through song, through music. They would minister to God by working in the temple. They would minister to God by burning incense. They would minister to God by looking after sort of the offerings and taking care of the holy matters. That was all ministry they did to God. It was all things that they did for, with a heart disposition towards God. We wanna, you've called us to do this. You've chosen us, but we're doing this to you, God, towards you in a sense Spoke about the fact that kind of practically in a modern-day church environment, modern-day New Testament environment, 
you could probably bring that down practically to spiritually. What would that mean for us today to minister to God? What it would mean prayer and intercession. That's part of what they did. Praise and worship, prophecy, prophetic acts, doing the things before God and to God. Practically caring for his house. That's what the priests largely would do as well. Their day-to-day business would be about caring for the temple, for the house of God. And so that was sort of the, the quick intro and the summary. This evening we wanted to carry on with the second part because not only have we been called or chosen to stand in his presence and to minister to God, we've also been chosen to minister for God, to be his ministers. And see, the difference here is if my children come and they make me an omelette, that's great. They're ministering to me. But for them to be my minister, a synonym for minister is servant, would then be to step out and do what matters to me. They're still doing it with a heart of love towards me. It's still born in a place of devotion, but it's now an action that's not directed toward God anymore. It's an action that's directed on behalf of God. Do you understand the difference? And so you and I, we've not only been called to stand in His presence and to minister to God, we have been chosen to be His ministers, to be His servants, to act on His behalf and to act in His name. And the best way that you can do that, if you were to start the job and sort of your, your boss calls you in and you're working for him, step one is to find out what matters to the boss. What can I do that will work for this boss? What can I do that will take this company forward? Then we're ministering for him. So the first step to ask is, if we want to do something that matters, is we need to find out what matters to him. I think in all of our lives, there's probably a bunch of stuff that really matters. And perhaps there's a bunch of stuff that matters in the heart of God. And one of the challenges in our growth is to bring those circles closer together. Not that the things that matter to God are probably going to change that much, but we're going to allow Him. And a little bit later tonight, we're going to spend some time praying into this and trusting God where necessary to rework some of our priorities, to make the things that matter to Him matter to us. To say, God, I want to make, live a life that matters. And for me to live a life that really matters, God, I need to be into the things that matters to you. The things that move your heart. And so there are a couple of things sort of about that. There are a couple of things, I guess, on God's heart that matter right at the top would be His name and His glory. And that's an eternal thing. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. God's glory is who He is and what He is all about. You start discovering that and you really start reading Scripture and you see all of Scripture has at its core the knowledge of the glory of God. The whole earth will know of His glory. Even Jesus' name is the name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What's the next bit that we often leave out? To the, we'll confess that He is Lord and the next bit, to the glory of the Father. You see, the whole purpose, we lift up Jesus because it brings the Father glory. And so here's this, this beautiful truth that God's glory is sort of way up there, but in our earth realm, in this earth time, a, a close second 
is what we find here in Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. You see, the very reason God came, the primary purpose of God's action and His moving, His continuing work here on earth is to seek and to save that which is lost. I wonder in our hearts when we sit here and kind of we have our priority list tomorrow morning when I wake up, what are the most important things for me today? Coffee. Breakfast. Maybe somewhere down here, attend class. Take a shower, depending on your hygiene level. Spend time with God. All of those would be in that list. I wonder where on that list would register see people come to Christ. See people put their faith in Jesus. I'm a minister. I've been chosen by God to minister for Him. So tomorrow morning when I wake up, my priority list, what does that look like? I was saying this morning, and I said, as I say, sharing the same message, what if we were to change the way we wake up in the morning and we get in our car, we get in the Uber, the Bolt, or whatever it is, and we're going to class, we're going to work, and we change our vocabulary. We say, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to class. I'm not going to CrossFit. I'm going to a mission field. I happen to work at my mission field. I happen to study at my mission field. I happen to gym or exercise at my mission field. See, my primary purpose, my primary function in my being here is not just, and please don't misquote me, get your degree, make sure you pass, work hard, work hard in your career, listen to your boss, do all of those things. But I'm ministering. I've been chosen to minister for God, to be His minister. And so there where I'm going, I get to carry out His name upon my lips and upon my life. I get to testify of His goodness. I love the song that we sang this evening. I'm going to go, God. It's going to be upon my lips. I'm going to proclaim and preach the gospel and probably die one day. And you're going to be one that's remembered, not me, Jesus. John 3.16, a verse that many of us probably know as well. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And verse 17, which is equally important, God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. In John 12, the same thought carries on. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world. Some of us have missed that as we step into this world, it is a dark world out there. So much darkness and depression, fear anxiety and brokenness and hurt. Jesus says, I have come as a light to shine in that darkness so that all who put their trust in me will no no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. I have come to save the world, not to judge it. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I love this. This is an older Paul Father in the faith, writing to a younger church leader by the name of Timothy, pastoring a church in Ephesus. And he says to Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I have the worst of them all. 
so much truth in that, that I am as bad a sinner, if not worse, than anybody else. But the very reason Jesus came was to save sinners, which includes me, because I'm the worst of all of the sinners. I need salvation. And so we can carry on reading Scripture after Scripture after Scripture around the purpose that Christ came, and it all centers around the fact that He came for souls. And I wonder, where does that register in our priority list? Where does that register in our life? It's a little bit like, you know, we do finance seminars from time to time. I think we've got a good podcast around that as well. And you read some sessions around that last year as for us, or two years ago, whenever that was. But when you, you know, you've got a, a budget. Budgets are good, if you didn't know that. Budgets are godly. Have a budget. But there's another document which is possibly even more important. And that's your statement of expenses and income. You see, the budget is what I plan to do. The statement is what I actually did. Those don't always line up. It's great having a budget that says, I'm going to do all of these great things, but at the end of the day, that's not what I spend my money on. Then there's a problem. And so what we do is kind of a good way, kind of financial stewardship is have a budget, yes, but before you work at the budget, first pull out your statement. And I always say to everyone, your statement, the stuff that you actually spent your money on, is a really good indicator of your priorities. So husbands, do you love your wife? Well, what does your statement say? Do you intend to love your wife? Okay, what does your budget say? And then the trick is to bring those in alignment. But the point is we can have our our budgets all perfectly work out, and that's kind of what I want my priority to be. The statement is what my priority is. And so many of us probably sit here and maybe we say, I want souls to be my budget, my priority, forward-looking. But if we're honest, a little bit backward-looking, in the last week, how important were souls to me? How important were souls to me in my workplace on Friday? How important were souls to me when I was studying on Wednesday? How important were they? And one of the things I'm trusting God for for us as a church is that He would reawaken that desire, that zeal, that passion to see souls come to Christ. Just a a desire that, God, you are so phenomenally good and everyone needs to know that, God. You have chosen me to be your witness, to minister for you. In John 15, Jesus kind of carries on this same theme and he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. God chose you. I appointed you to go and bear lasting fruit. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. Love each other. What a great commandment. But just before that, this beautiful truth, this reminder, I have chosen you. Not only has He chosen you, He's appointed you for a specific reason. To bring forth fruit. To produce fruit. Lasting fruit in the kingdom. It's so easy for us sort of to slip into this couch mentality to think, man, God has called me just to be with Him and in His presence. And if I can just lock all of the doors and just 
be alone in this beautiful old church building with worship music playing and just have this incredibly intimate place with God, I would be fulfilling God's purpose for my life. It's so clear that over and over and over, Jesus did not call us to that. He called us to that as a starting point. He has called us to stand and chosen us to stand in His presence. But then to go from His presence. He says, I've appointed you to go. I have appointed you to go. That speaks about momentum. It speaks about deliberateness. It speaks about action and activity. Not I've appointed you to go to your couch. There's nothing wrong with the couch per se. But when we get stuck on the couch, and so I wonder if we look back over the last week of our lives, how deliberate are we in our going? How comfortable are we in our staying? Or how deliberate are we in our going? And I guess I can say this, you're all still young. It's easier to hear this. But God has not called us to comfortableness or to comfort. The fruit of the Spirit is not love, peace, joy, comfort. Comfort's not there. As a matter of fact, we have the Holy Spirit as our comforter. What I realized this morning, just as I was preaching, it dawned on me. Do you know why we have the Holy Spirit as our comforter? Because He's going to lead us to uncomfortable places where we need to be comforted. And then He is there to comfort us. See, the comfort of the Holy Spirit isn't this place where He comes and molly cuddles us on our couches. There's a time, obviously, when we're weeping and we're broken, and it's great. But the comfort of the Holy Spirit happens when we're out there in uncomfortable spaces. When we allow our faith to be stretched. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and 11, there's sort of a, a highlights package. A hall of fame of men and women of faith. And it's good for me to read that. It's hard for me to read that, but it's good for me to read that. Because it challenges me. Because I realize when I, every time I read that, let me quickly just read some of them for us. So Hebrews 10, he talks about all what faith is and why faith and how glorious faith is. In Hebrews 11, faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. He starts speaking about faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. That's a really cool story. He just disappeared. Scripture says one day he was not. He was and then he was not because God took him. Yeah? One of two guys ever to never die. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family. That wasn't, that wasn't comfortable. We know the people mocked him for building this boat. They laughed at him saying, what are you doing with this massive boat that you are building? It was by faith that Abram obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would still show him. That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to walk out of the home that's comfortable. That I know God says, go. It's like, I'll go, God. Where am I going? Well, I'll show you where I'm going. No, God, you don't understand. My ways doesn't work like that. Google Maps needs a destination before I can go. No, just go. I'll show you when you're going. That's uncomfortable. And a whole bunch more, and it carries on. I want to jump to some of the end here, where it gets even worse. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. That sounds a little bit uncomfortable to me. 
And so often we think that God's grace and His goodness would keep us from torture. You know, if I've got enough faith, I'm never going to be tortured. The reality is that because of their faith, they were tortured. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. I guess that one we can sort of handle. Their backs were cut open with whips because of their faith. That sounds pretty uncomfortable to me. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. And then the bit that breaks me every time I get there, and I can't go much further. Some were sawed in half. That's rough. Because of their faith. God called them to that. It's their obedience that led them there. And so it carries on. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, mistreated. They were too good for this world. See, when we're following Jesus, He's going to call us to places of uncomfortableness. Are we willing to go there for the sake of souls and for the sake of His name and His glory? I appointed you to go. And often that's going to be go. Sometimes He's going to call us to go to beautiful. I've had those opportunities. We have been called to go and doors just open. It's amazing. I'm loving what God's doing on campus as I've picked up that mantle again, going just back on, knocking on doors, meeting with people. Our doors are just opening out. God is just breathing. I love how we step into something that God has ordained. And I love the fact that when kind of I'm heading towards campus, Something in my heart can just settle when I get nervous about a meeting or people that I need to meet or doors that need to open and I can just rest in God has chosen me to do this. And it is working and doors are opening and ministry is going to be happening back on campus not because I'm so good or so special or so anointed or whatever. It's just simply because God has chosen. God has chosen. And as God has chosen, if we just walk into that, if we step into that, there are times when it's incredibly blessed and doors open, and there are times when it's hard. It's times where it's rough. It's times where it's challenging, and we get the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Carrying on that same theme, another passage many of us probably know really well. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told His disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples. Sometimes I think we read this kind of, we're sitting there on the hill, we're imagining Jesus coming and speaking to us, and He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So therefore, go and sit there in a corner until I send people to you. Now He says, therefore, go and make. Go and make. The standard position of us as Christians should be goers. We should have ants in our pants a little bit. We should be a little bit scratchy when we're just stuck in the same place all of the time because we should be saying, God, where can I go for the gospel? It doesn't have to always be across continents. Sometimes just across the corridor. God, can I go? God, I need to be going. God, I'm in my room. I've been in my room too long. I've watched way too many series. God, that's my third rugby game for this weekend. God, I need to get going. I need to step out of this place, God, because I need to go, because you have called me to go. You've chosen me to go. You've appointed me to go, and I'm not going, God, so I'm missing something of what you've got stored up for me in my life. So, God, here I go. Where am I going? I'm not quite sure yet, but I'm going. I'm going to the first person. I'm going to look for opportunities. I wonder tomorrow morning when we wake up, 
How active are we in our looking for opportunities? Are we waiting until God sends someone and then we're happy to speak to them? God, I'm going to go to Spur and I'm going to order, what does it need at Spur nowadays? A burger or a steak or whatever. I'm going to sit there in the corner. God, I'm going to be spiritual, but it'll open my Bible even. And then God, if you send someone to come and sit at the table next to me or with me, then I will share the gospel with them. Or are we saying, God, where can I go and find someone? God, where can I look for someone? God, where is there somebody who I can just for a moment speak to or pray with or demonstrate something of your love? God, I want to be active in my going. A couple of years ago, a guy by the name of Barack Obama ran for president of the United States of America. Don't want to get in politics. I'm not endorsing his politics. I'm not criticizing his politics. I'm being completely neutral about his politics. But he did have the best, I believe, most godly campaign slogan ever. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. That should be the standard, definite, standard disposition, the heart disposition of every Christian. Can we plant a small group there? Yes, we can. How can we do it? We've got no clue, but we'll figure that out. Can we turn lives around? Yes, we can. Can I start this business? Yes, we can. Obviously, keeping in mind, God can always give us a sovereign no for our crazy ideas. But in terms of the gospel, yes, we can. Can we make a difference here? Yes, we can. Can I lead the small group? Yes, we can. How am I going to fit all of that in? I've got no clue. But with God, all things are possible. Yes, we can. Am I willing to? Yes, we can. Do I for a moment perhaps need to step back? Maybe. But is my heart? Yes, yes. I love that. I realized this morning I got completely distracted giving this example. Some of us have heard of the 268 generation, also known as the Passion Movement, also known as Louis Giglio and Christian Stanford and Melody Malone and those guys. 268 generation kind of is passion. By the way, passion is a word most of us probably misunderstand we, passion, we think passion is the thing that excites me, the things that gets me going, the thing that kind of makes my adrenaline run. That's what my passion is. Bad news is that's not your passion, at least not by a dictionary. The passion is what is the thing you're willing to suffer for. That's what the word passion means. Ever wonder why they call it the passion of the Christ, the suffering of the Christ? But the 268 generation, the passion movement, it's based on Isaiah chapter 26, verse 8, which says something along these lines, depending on which translation you read it from. Yes, Lord, in the way of your judgments, we have walked and waited for you. Your name and your desire, your name and your renown is the desire of our soul. Your name and your fame is the desire of what we're about. But right at the start, I just love the irony in a sense, because they've kind of chosen this and this Movement has largely swept the world, but the first two words are what it's all about. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God asks yes. What does he ask you? I don't quite know, but the answer is yes. Because he's asked. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And so our heart's disposition should be, yes, we can. Why? Because Jesus... How? We don't quite know yet, but yes, we can. We've just appointed a new guy uh, on staff. We prayed with him this morning. He's 
still in Johannesburg in the process of moving here. Can we afford him? Yes, we can. Does our budget say it? Not quite yet. Sometimes we need to take those steps where we step out in faith. We say, God, we're trusting you that this is a you thing. And so we're doing this, God. God, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Can I plant the small group? Yes, I can. Can I take dinner for my small group? Yes, I can. How? I've got no clue. But God promises that he will provide in all of my need according to his riches and glory. So God, maybe that means for a time I must tighten my belt a little bit. Maybe it means that there's going to be some uncomfortable things happening in a different space. But God, yes, I can. Yes, I can. God has chosen you to be his minister. Not just the person next to you or behind you or in front of you, the guy holding the microphone. God has chosen you to be his minister. I really believe the church as a whole, we need to come out of this slumbering. Sadly, COVID sort of brought us into this place. And I was actually reading a pastor this morning on Instagram or so on the feed. He kind of wrote, you know, contrary the exact words, but something along the lines of, Church was never meant to be a couch experience. Don't let what was necessary in a pandemic become normal for life. We were, it was necessary to wear masks. Some people will argue, but bear with me for a moment. It was necessary to wear masks for a pandemic. It's not necessary now. It was necessary to sit on church, to sit on couch for church in the pandemic. It's not necessary now. Step out and embrace the fullness and so glad that you guys are here because you obviously get that. Are we actively seeking opportunities to be His servant? Are we looking for them or are we waiting kind of when God whacks us over the head, a Bible falls from the sky and a guy comes and sits next to us. Oh, okay, God obviously wants me to talk to this guy. Are we saying, God, you've chosen me to be your minister. And then the fourth part there is depending on the translation you use, to burn incense, to make perfume, to bring offerings. All speak about the same thing. The original language they speak specifically about perfume, about incense. That speaks about a couple of things. The first one in Revelation chapter 5, we read when he, his angel, he took the scroll, the four living beings and 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. This is like this big theater playing out in heaven. Each one of these angels, or these elders, had a harp that golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. One of the things that God has chosen you to do is chosen you to pray. You might say, Philip, okay, I'm going to go. I'm willing to go. I'm going to go to my class, but I've got no clue how. Well, here's a great way to start. Go and pray. Praying all the time would be great, but maybe just... Hey, God, I'm going to take one lunch once a week. Maybe I'm even going to fast that lunch once a week, and I'm going to take the time. I'm going to pray for my workplace. I'm going to pray for my class. I'm going to pray for my campus. I'm going to pray for my commune. I'm going to just put out one specific time each week to pray for God's kingdom to come. Or maybe I'm going to go through half an hour earlier, one day a week, and I'm going to pray. I can make you a promise. If you start doing that, you're going to be surprised at how quickly God adds more people to pray with you. There are people all over who are waiting, who are looking to see the kingdom of God, but they're waiting for leaders to rise up. 
for somebody just to start it. Maybe someone's already started in your environment, maybe they haven't. If they haven't yet, why not start it? Go start praying in your campus. Go start praying in your faculty. Go start praying. Go start praying at your business. You're going to be surprised at how quickly more people join and pray alongside you. That's the first thing. Kind of, so we've been called to stand in His presence. You have been called to stand in His presence. You have been called to minister to Him. You've been called to be His minister. And you've been called to burn incense. Burning incense prophetically speaks about praying before God. Which, while I think about it now, I forgot about saying it this morning. We are not going to have normally, for those who are visiting normally, we have the first Monday of every month we fast and pray together. Last month we had a whole month of fasting. Last weekend we had a whole weekend of not eating anything, praying a lot. And we've got the camp next weekend, so tomorrow night there's no first Monday prayer. You're welcome to pray and fast, but we're not going to be coming together tomorrow evening, just as an aside. Okay, so we're going to pray. God's called us to pray. He's chosen us to pray. But also what many of the translators here pick up is that God isn't just calling us to pray. He's calling us to bring offerings. The Old Testament norm for offering, for worship, is a little bit different to how much of the Western world experiences worship today. Often today we think of worship as this thing that I walk in the door here and kind of I experience this moment. Oh, not that song again. I've done that. I've sung that sung that song six times this week. I'm finished with that song. I've consumed that song. I need something new. I need something fresh. I'm a consumer. I I need to consume something new. Worship is exactly the opposite. You see, the principle, the underlying thought of worship throughout the Old Testament is about something being consumed. And so when we bring worship to God, the idea is that we're meant to be the one being consumed. When we bring our offerings to God, when we bring something of value to God, and in the Old Testament, in Chronicles as an example, as part of the fast, we read sort of the whole story of Hezekiah and the whole revival. And the one lady, I worship, one of our worship leaders came, she said, I don't get this. There's all of these different offerings and goats and sheep and cattle and all of that is all being offered. And I said, kind of, don't have time to get into that too much for now, but the whole point is we bring something of value to be consumed. To give it up before God. To burn it. And so worship at its disposition is us doing that. And so watch what Paul writes to the church in Romans. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, the implication is your whole being, to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. From time to time, I guess as students, it's not so much, but people who start working, start earning an income, and they're like, oh, I can come to church, but I don't know if I want to give my money to God. What if God wants my money? And then I can say to them, don't worry. I've got news for you. You can decide if it's good or bad news. God's not interested in your money. He's interested in all of you. All of you. Your time, your energy. I've got a friend who, passed a friend who used to lead a church in, um, at the coast. And he tells when they baptized there, they would baptize people on the beach. And normally people would arrive with a car and they would park. And he says when they baptized someone, they had to bring two things with them, three things with them when they got baptized. 
They had to bring their car keys with them. I don't quite know how they did that without killing the car keys. But anyway, he tells the story. They had to bring their car keys. They had to bring their watches and they had to bring their wallets. He says, if you're getting baptized here, you say giving up your status, your car. You're giving up your time. You're giving up your finance, your resource. If you're being baptized, we're surrendering it all to Jesus. I love that heart. I love that approach. But you see, worship is about this idea that I come to God to be consumed. And hopefully in that process to be purified, to become more like Him. I bring my gifts. I bring my energy. I I bring what I have to bring and I bring it to give it to God so that He can consume it. Not so that He can multiply it and give it back to me. Sometimes He does that. But too often we think, hey, I'm going, to, you know, I'm going to give to God. You know why I'm giving to God? Because I'm, look, I'm eyeing this new pair of shoes. And if I give to God enough, He's going to give back to me and I can buy the shoes. Yes, God will give back to you. But if your heart is that you want to give because you want it to get back, then you're not bringing worship. Because you're not bringing for it to be consumed. You're not bringing for it to be used. You're not bringing for it to be lit up in flames. You're bringing because I want to get something out of this. Worship is all about giving the little bit that I have to God. And so this evening, I want to encourage you as you are here. God has chosen you. Don't be negligent. Don't neglect it. Be serious about the fact God has chosen you. He's chosen you for a couple of things. He's chosen you to stand in His presence. He's chosen you to be in His courts. He's chosen you to have the most intimate, quiet times and times of just private and public worship. He's chosen you to enjoy His love and His goodness. He's chosen you to minister to Him, to bring your gifts to Him, to sing worship songs, to serve in a church, whatever. He's chosen you to do that. He's also chosen you to be His minister. He's chosen you to go out and to carry His name to a broken world. I'll hope and long for the day where every one of our members, when we walk into this building or whichever building we happen to gather in and we see an empty chair, our heart skips a beat and bleeds a little bit because there was someone I could have invited. There was someone who needed to experience God. There was someone we missed and obviously doesn't, kind of work mathematically like that perfectly, but you get the heart. God, there's a chair where someone else could have been to encounter the goodness of God. There's someone maybe that I should have invited, could have invited, didn't quite invite. Or God, there's a chair open. I'm going to bring someone to fill that chair next week. I'm going to pray for them in this week. God, there's space for one more. My wife, this morning, I don't know if I should bless her or curse her. Would people over probably bless her? But she was like, yeah, soon we're going to have multiple services again. And I was like, you have no idea how much work that is. But it's work which is blessed and precious. And we'll, if we have three or four or five or ten services on a weekend, if that's what we need to do to accommodate the people that God is sending, the people that are on our hearts to reach, then we do that because God has sent us to go, to give of ourselves, to pour ourselves into lives. God has chosen you to go, to be His servant, to be His minister. And God has chosen you to bring offerings.
to burn incense. God has chosen you. Can we stand this evening? I would love to pray for you. As we pray there, two specific groups of people I would love to pray with. And I'm going to ask you if that's you and just a moment to step out and be bold. We want to pray with you, come alongside you in prayer. The first group is if you're here and you struggle with this idea that God has chosen me. That's just hard for you. You can hear it, you can see it, kind of you. Intellectually, you can know it, but it's so hard for you just to embrace. God has chosen me. If that's you, we would love to pray with you. You know, one of the things about this moment that we're about to enter into, you can't go home and make that suddenly happen. There's nothing that you can do, go sit on your bed and meditate enough, and then suddenly I'm going to realize that God has chosen me. This is something God needs to do in your heart. Settle something in your spirit. You need to hear His voice, experience His touch to know that He has chosen you. So if that's you, we would love to pray with you. And the second group is, if you realize that your priorities aren't quite God's priorities. Maybe you've got a list of priorities, and they're great, and they're blessed. Maybe somewhere in there, there's this thing of seeing people come to Jesus. But you realize this probably needs to be bumped up a couple of places in my life. If that's you tonight, we want to pray with you as well. Because once again, thank you. That's not something that you or I can make happen. We can't go home and suddenly, no, I'm going to have a heart for the lost. I'm going to make myself love the lost. We can't do that. But God can. So we want to pray with you. We need to obviously be obedient. We need to follow where he leads us. But we can't change our hearts. And so if you're one of those two groups, I'm going to close for us in, in prayer now. And then I'm going to ask if that's you to step forward and we would love to take a moment to pray with you. Gareth and Maranico are going to continue just to minister. If you want to just stay in the Lord's presence and praise and worship and just allow God to minister to you, you're welcome to do that. No one's chasing you away. There is coffee and tea outside as well. Have it. Join us, especially those you're visiting. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. But for us, what's most important is doing business with God, allowing Him to meet and heal and change our hearts according to His purpose. So let me pray for us, and then in a moment you can step forward if you need to step forward. And we want to pray with you. Jesus, thank you tonight that as we gather here, your word is true and that we can know, everyone, you have chosen us. We want to say thank you, God. Lord, that you did not choose us because of something miraculous we did or because of our great giftedness. You just chose to chose us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you have chosen us to stand in your presence, to come before your courts, to be able just to, to be with you, Lord. We will be able to do that for eternity, but we can do that right now as well, God. Just step into your presence, Lord. Minister to you. You've chosen us for that, Lord. We want to be people who minister to you day and night, Lord. You've chosen us to be your ministers, Lord. And tonight we bring our hearts before you. We bring our hands, Lord. And we ask, Holy Spirit, make us faithful ministers, Lord. Strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our hands, Lord. Show us, Jesus, how we can represent you to a world out there. 
But Lord, give us grace to bring offerings. You have chosen us to bring offerings. And we want to embrace that truth that you have chosen us for all of these things. Every one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.